What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon, and now the Biden administration has rolled out all kinds of initiatives as part of its energy transition ambitions. And one of those initiatives is a plan to establish hydrogen hubs at multiple locations within the U.S. Last year, we spent a couple of episodes on this podcast talking about green hydrogen. Those episodes were wildly popular, so I figured it was about time we revisit the topic. In a few minutes, you'll hear an interview I conducted with Michael Hecht. Michael is the president and CEO of Greater New Orleans, Inc., or GNO. GNO has been the organizing force behind H2 The Future, which is a clean hydrogen cluster that's being developed in southern Louisiana. Michael and I had a really fun conversation. He was fresh off the plane from watching his beloved New Orleans Saints take on the Minnesota Vikings in London, and he explained how H2 The Future which was recently awarded $50 million from the U.S. Economic Development Administration to develop a green hydrogen hub that will include everything from R&D facilities at multiple Louisiana universities to an end-use project at the Port of South Louisiana. Michael and his team pulled together many, many, many different stakeholders to get H2 the future off the ground, so I think listeners of this podcast will appreciate hearing just how they did it. Looking ahead, today's episode is actually the first of a few episodes about green hydrogen a green hydrogen episode hub, if you will. I can't quite yet disclose who we are bringing on the future episodes, but I promise you, you're going to hear more great insights about green hydrogen before the end of this year. And of course, COP27 is less than a month away, so we're cooking up some episodes to cover that global gathering. Lots of good stuff is coming down the pipeline, so stay tuned for those episodes. Before we learn more about H2 The Future from Michael Hecht of Greater New Orleans, Inc., Here's a quick word from the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, EDF Renewables. EDF Renewables is a market-leading independent power producer and service provider with over 35 years of expertise in developing onshore and offshore wind, solar, storage, and electric vehicle charging systems. EDF Renewables, energy your way. Thank you, everyone, for joining me for today's show. I'm pleased to welcome Michael Heck from Greater New Orleans, Inc. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous, Sean. Uh, just got in from a quick jaunt uh, across the pond to London to see my beloved football team lose again. But, you know, the sorrow was lubricated with Guinness and friends. And, um, you know, and now uh, je suis retourné. So it's great to be back. Yeah, well, welcome back to the States. Bring you on the show today to talk about H to the Future. You know, it's a project going on in New Orleans. So uh, let's get right into it. You know, what is that project and what's your role in it? Thanks. Well, uh, H to the Future is a project that's predicated on the idea that Louisiana uh, has always been an energy state, uh, primarily in hydrocarbons, but now it can be an energy state of the future with a more clean energy outlook. And when we began to understand about the potential for green hydrogen, particularly as a feedstock for our industrial corridor, where we are the most intensive users of industrial hydrogen for processes like uh, making ammonia for fertilizer or refining steel. We said, hmm, we might have an opportunity to continue to power our industrial corridor, but do it with a cleaner source uh, of fuel uh, and feedstock. And that'd be a win for the economy and the environment. That was the genesis of H to the Future. All right. So what are the key elements of the project? Well, I guess there, there are two parts. Uh, I'm sure that your audience knows, but 
you know, green hydrogen differs from gray or dirty hydrogen in that it's synthesized from water uh, instead of natural gas, as we've always done it here. Uh, the key to that is that the electrolyzer that splits up the water, the electricity has to be created by a clean energy source. Otherwise, it's faux green. And so what we're saying here is that we're going to do that with wind energy, with wind installations in the Gulf that are going to power electrolyzers that are maybe sitting on disused oil and gas rigs. That's going to then create the hydrogen, which is piped into our industrial corridor. And according to our smart and well-paid friends at McKinsey, we'll be able then to maintain our industrial corridor, but potentially reduce carbon emissions by as much as 70%. I dug into your website. Everything is lined up and all the groups that have come together for this. So what is H to workforce, H to test beds, H to nexus, and things like that? It seems like those are some aspects of this wider picture that, that might have helped you get some buy-in from all the local constituencies. Yeah. No, all these sound kind of like Jay-Z lyrics, but um, they weren't intended to. So, all right. So the, the background of this is that we were one of 4% of national winners of a Department of Commerce uh, EDA grant. It was the Build Back Better Regional Challenge. Uh, for ours, we pulled together 35 partners from across South Louisiana. We pulled together other economic development organizations, universities, including our HBCUs, nonprofits. And we basically applied, and there are five parts uh, to our application. The first is what we call H2 test beds. And this is the work that's happening at our universities themselves. So, for example, at LSU, they're working on electrolyzers and carbon capture technology. At UL Lafayette, uh, they're working on electrolyzers as well. At University of New Orleans, they're working on clean maritime. So that's where the research is actually happening. Uh, the second part, uh, part that I'm particularly excited about is Nexus, the new energy center of the U.S. Uh, this is going to go at the Research and Technology Park of the University of New Orleans, and it's going to be the physical location, the hub of all the activity around energy transition for Louisiana including green hydrogen. So you're going to have uh, existing companies there, startups, training space, public space, social space. If you know, for example, the Cambridge Innovation Center that they have up in Boston or they have in, in, uh, in Rhode Island, it's going to be a similar type of physical hub where people can meet, serendipity can happen, and the media can point to it and say, this is uh, where it's all coming out of. Then the third part is a workforce component. Uh, there, we're going to be working with our two-year college system as well as our HBCUs to make sure that workers, uh, new people, are, tra are trained for clean energy, but also for that existing workers, particularly the 22,000 that have lost their jobs in the oil and gas industry over the past 20 years, can be trained for green hydrogen and clean energy. So these are programs that are going to happen in the universities, also um, out uh, in the community. Some of them will be full degrees, uh, including associate's degrees. Some of them might just be certificates that could happen over a period of weeks. Uh, then the fourth component of this is business development. That's one we're going to be working with our partners in Baton Rouge, and that's going to be bringing in new companies in the clean energy space, but also working with existing companies, including hydrocarbon companies in Louisiana, to help them understand how they can be part of the green hydrogen supply chain and generally how they can clean up their operations. And so a uh, carbon capture, although it's not kind of the headline uh, in this project, uh, is also going to be something we're going to be uh, pushing companies towards if it's a way they can take their traditional processes and capture the carbon and in general move Louisiana to the forefront. 
Then the final part is going to be a, a demonstration project. That one we're going to do up at the port of South Louisiana. And here we're going to be taking green hydrogen uh, with that creating e-methanol. And we're going to be building an e-methanol clean fueling barge. That then is going to fuel the first fleet of zero emission tugboats in America that are going to operate on the Mississippi River. Uh, they're called the Hydrogen One, uh, built by a company called Maritime Partners. And so we're going to demonstrate how we can take the synthesized green hydrogen and put it to industrial use and be able to reduce our emissions while maintaining uh, our, our work product. All right. Well, you just mentioned a, a ton of entities there, right? A, you know, from the college campuses right on up to the hydrocarbon companies. Uh, one of the things I'm really kind of passionate about is messaging. So how did you go about pulling together all these stakeholders for what's really kind of a region-wide and, and, and massive undertaking? Like, what was that like? Well, it, it's interesting, Sean. You know, you might say, how could a state like Louisiana that is so culturally rooted in oil and gas that the color of its football team are black and gold, like oil, black gold. And that is intentional because they were founded by an oil man. And the reason or the way we've been able to do this as a state uh, and lean into uh, particularly wind energy, which is the power source for green hydrogen, is that we've led with it as an economic idea that has an environmental benefit. What we basically have said is that all of the skills, all of the people, all of the assets that we've used for decades to engineer, to construct, to install, and to service oil and gas rigs, we can use to do the exact same for offshore wind. Because if you think about it, an offshore wind structure and installation is really in many ways similar to an oil and gas rig in terms of its massiveness, in terms of the needs for skills like welding, in terms of lift boats to construct it. It's just that once you're out in hundreds of feet of water, you're going up for wind instead of down for oil. So it was really our folks down in the bayou, uh, who traditionally are Republicans, who have gotten behind the idea of wind energy as a way to use what they've done for decades in a new application. And in fact, the first wind farm in America, uh, Block Island off the coast of Rhode Island, was almost entirely engineered, constructed, and being serviced by Louisiana oil and gas companies. And so there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm in the traditional hydrocarbon world here in Louisiana for offshore wind, because they don't really see it as a transition, meaning a change. They really see it as an evolution. And for that reason, because we led with the economic elements, we've been able then to uh, wrap around the environmental elements and say that they can go together. This is where the economy meets the environment. And everybody's very, very comfortable with that. We'll be right back. EDF Renewables' purpose is to build a net-zero energy future with electricity and innovative solutions and services to help save the planet and drive well-being and economic development. We're committed to providing future generations with the means to power their lives in the most economic, environmental, and socially responsible ways possible. We understand the importance of managing energy integration in a way that also enables clean energy projects to improve the electric grid. Our tailor-made solutions can solve energy challenges facing our customers, no matter the size or complexity. EDF Renewables. Energy your way. And now back to my conversation with Michael Hecht from Greater New Orleans, Inc. All right, you mentioned the 
the strategic importance, or I guess the makes sense to have Louisiana be the the hub of something like this because of all the history of of energy development. But are there any you know dangers to that region specifically to natural disasters and things like that? Because I know one of the questions I'm trying to get to with you know offshore wind is like, can those turbines you know withstand a Category Five hurricane? Who have you talked to from the wind development sector to address those concerns? Um, well, there, there's some individuals who are specifically addressing those concerns. Uh, there's a new company we have called Gulf Wind Technologies, which is developing technologies specifically for the Gulf. And then there are other companies like LM Wind Power, which is owned by GE, which is making the longest uh, blade in the world, 107 meters long, that are also looking into this. And it, it is true that it would seem that on the surface that the Gulf has kind of a Goldilocks problem uh, with its wind. We either don't have enough or we have too much. But then when you consider that there are offshore wind installations, for example, in Southeast Asia, where they're dealing with typhoons, and then the fact that the technologies, whether it's material science or just doing things that we've always done uh, in the natural world and in the built world, when we encounter storms like feathering the blades, uh, there's a high degree of confidence that we're going to be able to build structures that are going to be suitable for um, you know, the occasional Category 4 or Category 5 hurricane. One of the things that got us very interested in offshore wind power was when we saw a study by NREL, the National Renewable Energies Lab, and it had Louisiana ranked number four in the country for potential for offshore wind. And that was, to be honest, somewhat surprising to us because we said, man, you know, we thought we had this too much, not enough problem. And they said they acknowledged that. And actually, the very best wind in the Gulf is off the coast of Corpus Christi, off of the southeast coast of Texas. But they said, on the other hand, because we have a broad, shallow shelf off the coast of Louisiana, it allows our offshore wind installations to be embedded in the seabed instead of having to float them. And that actually makes them much less expensive to install. And so that really works in our favor. So overall, um, the feeling from the experts is that uh, with a little bit of innovation, the Gulf of Mexico actually will be a quite good location for offshore wind uh, over the next 10 years. Do you feel like you have any kind of head start considering that, you know, transportation and shipping infrastructure is already in place compared to other hubs that might be out there? Uh, no doubt. Uh, when we were pitching this to the Department of Commerce, we talked about our existing pipeline network, which would go around the earth over six times if you laid it end to end, our existing port infrastructure, which is the best uh, in North America, our workforce, which for decades has been doing this complicated welding and uh, servicing rigs offshore. Uh, and we said, uh, because this represents just an evolution of those existing skills and assets, this is something that we have a 50 or 60 year head start on versus other places in the country that might be doing it de novo. So you know, there's no question that, that we have a head start. And frankly, that was our competitive advantage that we pitched uh, to the federal authorities. Okay. And now the Department of Energy recently came out with their national clean hydrogen strategy and roadmap. How does your project fit into that? Well, it, it very much uh, weaves into that. Uh, Louisiana is applying to be one of the hydrogen hubs in the country, uh, applying along with Arkansas and Oklahoma uh, as a consortium. And our governor uh, has been very clear that Louisiana intends to be an energy state of the future. He, he spoke to this in COP26. Uh, he led the application for us on the hydrogen hub. And actually for our project, we're getting $50 million from the Department of Commerce but that's being matched by $25 million from the state of Louisiana. So the commitment is there at the executive level. And again, it's driven by uh, an understanding that with clean energy, we are going to be able to preserve and grow jobs at the same time that we are preserving the environment. 
And that's why I believe this has bipartisan support in the state and why we continue to apply for all of these various projects that together uh, will make Louisiana what it is today for natural gas in the future for hydrogen. Okay. And I talked earlier about the messaging and kind of building the coalition. And there's going to be more than one of these hubs around the US. So if you had any advice for someone who's in your position, who's trying to kind of pull together all those stakeholders, or how, to, how to get that done, what would it be? When I think about the coalition that we pulled together for H to the Future, which again was, uh, was uh, almost three dozen organizations across the south of the state, um, it came together because originally four of us were all applying for the grant. And we had it called each of the three, and basically it was agreed that they would drop their applications and allow GNO Inc. to lead one collectively for all of us, recognizing that if we all applied, we all were going to lose. The only way that they were able to make that decision was because of, honestly, over a decade of working together, really 15 plus years since Katrina, that had built up a level of trust, a trust of our intentions and a trust of our ability to execute. And without that level of familiarity and affinity and trust, there's no way that we would have been able to work together like this. And so although the coalition and the application came together seemingly very quickly, in fact, the foundation had been laid over you know 10 to 15 years. And that was really the secret to our success. Were there any pitfalls that you encountered along the way, either technical or with building the coalition? Oh, I mean, there were you know many twists and turns and... Uh, we had a lot of, of fire drills along the way. So, for example, our Nexus Center, uh, we had thought that we were going to put it down at a port site. And with two days to go before the application, it became apparent that for some, frankly, legal reasons, we weren't going to be able to put it there. So we had to pivot and put it at the university over about 48 hours. But again, each time one of these fire drills happened, because of our, of our relationships, we were able to make a few phone calls and people were able to some degree to, to just trust that it was going to work out and we were able to resolve them. I think the biggest question we had going into this in terms of a technical pitfall was going to be the price of green hydrogen versus the price of gray hydrogen, because that's really the trick. If the price is not uh, comparable, then, then green hydrogen is not going to be sustainable without subsidy, and we, we didn't want a subsidized product. Uh, there are two things that make us feel better about that. One is that the technology related to electrolyzers continues to improve, and that's part of our project. The second is that we have such scale of industrial hydrogen consumption here in uh, Louisiana that we're going to be able to amortize our fixed costs over a, uh, over a large user base. And actually, the third thing, I'm just thinking about this, that is just now happening, is that because of what's going on in Europe with the invasion of Ukraine, Actually, now we're seeing the price of natural gas shoot weight up. So not only are we seeing the price of green hydrogen come down, but the floor is rising. Uh, when we started this project, natural gas was under $2 per MMBTU. Now it's up, what, Sean, at like five or six. And so the delta is getting much smaller. And although that's bad for users of, of natural gas and frankly for electricity today, in terms of the feasibility of green hydrogen, which is about that delta, uh, it actually improves it. So what are the next steps for your project? Well, <laughs> you know, to some degree, Sean, we've been not only building the plane while we've been flying it, we've actually been looking for the airport. Uh, we were just told where the airport is because we just, just announced a couple of weeks ago that we won the grant. And so now we're uh, very busy looking to hire a staff who's going to run the project for the next four years plus. 
and we're very anxious to get the Nexus Center open by the summer of 2023 and basically crank up the uh, the entire project. Our goal is that within a, a couple of years, we're going to be able to take folks to the Port of South Louisiana, have them see the clean fueling barge that we've built, and to watch these uh, boats go up and down the river, uh, servicing uh, the entire country and the world, frankly, but doing it with zero carbon emissions. And we think that if we're able to make it, have people see, touch, feel these manifestations of the green hydrogen economy from Nexus to the clean barges on the river, the clean tugboats on the river, they'll be able to understand this is not just an idea they're reading about in magazines or hearing about on podcasts, but actually is a way we can take not just South Louisiana, but America forward into a clean energy future. So the clock has begun to tick, but we're, we're very excited because there's great enthusiasm in the industry, great enthusiasm in the public and the media. And as we've talked about, because we're talking about the environment and the economy coming together, money meeting morality, there's great bipartisan enthusiasm. And so uh, we're ready to get to work. And then one thing I like to do on this podcast whenever I get a chance is to ask folks like you for bold predictions. So what do you got for me, Michael? You seem like you're pretty bullish about the prospects for H to the future. So where are we in five to 10 years? In five to 10 years, the industrial corridor of Louisiana, which is the most intensive on a per capita basis by far in the country uh, and uses the most hydrogen per capita, second most overall in the country, will be entirely powered by clean hydrogen, which might not only be green hydrogen, some of it might be blue from carbon capture, some of it might be pink from nuclear, but we are going to be able to demonstrate uh, to the country that we have the ability to preserve and grow well-paying middle-class jobs to create the products, whether it's the plastics or the fertilizers or the steel or the fuel for our country and the world, but do it in a way that is much more environmentally sensitive. And in that way, I think Louisiana is going to be a leader for the country and is going to be an energy state of the future. All right. Well, Michael, hey, how can our listeners learn more about the H to the Future project? Oh, thanks, Sean. Well, we have a website that includes all the information. Uh, it's h2thefuture.org with two as the number. So big H, number two, thefuture.org. That contains all the project information and contact information. Or otherwise, they can also just go to gnoinc.org and get in touch with myself. And we'd be happy to share all of our mistakes and our small number of successes that we're trying to build on. All right, great. We'll include a link to that uh, in the show notes for this episode. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, it sounds like there's some exciting times ahead and, and quite frankly, exciting times already happening for you and the region. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me. Sean, thanks so much. I look forward to coming back and reporting on our progress. I do too. I look forward to hearing that. Well, that's our show for today. But before we get out of here, I want to say one final thank you to the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, EDF Renewables. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RenewablesPod. And if you'd like a daily dose of renewable news delivered to your inbox, head to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Renewable Energy Smart Brief. The Renewable Energy Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief, a future company.